This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 232 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast... We are going to have one of our darkest and spookiest and most gothic tales. This is a tale of sorcery, of witchcraft. This is the story of the Queen's County Witch. But before we get down to that, to the goods, a very big warm welcome to any new and indeed returning listeners. If this is your first episode, why don't you see what you think of this? And if you like it, why don't you head right back to the very beginning, nearly five years ago. Uh, There is many, many, many episodes for you to catch up on. This is quite a typical story of what we do on Farside, although, as I said, this one, it will be a little bit darker. Uh, I don't want to big that up too much in case it, it, it doesn't to you, but it certainly was to me. And for any returning listeners, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. Uh, all the usual ways, of course, you can support the podcast. You can follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. You can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Those are the best places to say hello if you have any questions, comments, queries, business inquiries, anything, uh, or if you just want to say hello. I love hearing from all of you. Those are the places to reach me. Uh, You can also share this on your stories, share this with your friends. Still the best way to grow the podcast. And if you want to support me in a more immediate way, you can buy my book, Garden Sea, a neo-myth of home, my poetry collection fusing the folklore, history, and religion of Ireland uh, to tell a narrative of growing up there. Uh, which can be available in paperback from Headstuff website or in Kindle version from Amazon. We can ship the paperback all around the world. Thank you so much, as always, to those who continue to buy the book. As we come up to the second anniversary of its publication, it'd be great to get a few more, uh, build up the sales again, leading up to Christmas and leading up to the second anniversary of the book, as I tirelessly continue on writing its sequel. Well, it's not as much a sequel. Well, it's follow-up at the very least uh, to Garden Sea. And the final way you can support the podcast is, of course, by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Links in the description below, and that is the cells out of the way. It is gorgeous to be recording with you all again this evening, um, as we have now our ninth episode uh, for October, uh, written and released in the last couple of weeks as we try and catch up slowly but surely um, leading up to 250 episodes by the end of the year. Um, 
thank you again to all those who have flocked back to Fireside after this the couple of weeks of absences throughout the year. Um, it's been great to get back into this huge burst of flow. It's been a lot of work over the last couple of weeks, but I've been very happy to do it uh, to catch up both for myself and for all of you. And it's very gratifying that you've all been listening so immediately to these episodes as they've been coming out. Um, and it's been great to cover all of these different weird and wonderful creatures in the as we approach the Celtic feast of Samhain and Halloween. And we have this tale, we have one more, and then we have our Halloween special before we gear right into into leading up to the Christmas and to the 250th episode. And I now have plans for the rest of the year. So that's very exciting to know we're driving towards. And we will I will tell you more about that in due course. Um, I'm about to start rehearsals uh, for a play called the Describe the Night, which I announced last episode, uh, which I can put a link in the description to the tickets below. A uh, wonderful story about seven characters whose lives are linked uh, throughout the rise and fall of the Soviet Union. Um, really meaty, beefy play that I'm really looking forward to sinking my teeth into. That'll be on in Glassmask Theatre on Dawson Street in Dublin from the 20th of November to the 9th of December. Anyone who's around who sounds like that's your type of thing. Uh, and the like, again, the link will be in the description below. Um, I am still gigging away in Dublin around the Temple Bar area. That'll be me until Christmas. I'm going away to Philadelphia in a couple of weeks. Be my third time in Philadelphia this year. Very much looking forward to going back. Um, a project that we've been trying to get off the ground over there um, this year, um, which I can't give too much information about, but uh, hopefully there'll be more information about soon because I love working over in America and it's always great. And Philly's a great, great city. Uh, one of my very favourites. Um, and yes, uh, we're now into about the final month of the redrafts of the follow-up to Garden Sea, tentatively titled Song and Dance Man, um, which will be a much more expansive uh, novel form of book. Um, it's, very, it's much longer, it's taken much longer to write, but uh, it's slowly but surely getting there, and I'm looking forward to hopefully finishing the book by my birthday, which will be the 20th of November, that's the deadline I've set, and certainly by December 10th, which is the uh, second anniversary of Garden Sea. Um, and so those are all the kind of things going on with me at the moment. But for the story this week, again, I don't want to big this up too much, but I rarely do this, but as I know a lot of people listen with, with their kids to this podcast or share this podcast with their children, uh, which I love. I love the idea of, of these stories being passed down generation, generationally, um, and that is what they're for. Um, but this is a story I would definitely give a listen to first um, before you show it to your kids. As I might be just bigging this up, but this one really kind of got to me as probably more than any other story as I was adapting it. Um, we will talk more about afterwards about why, because there was there's something about the there's an earthiness and a groundedness to this story that made it very very chilling to adapt. Um, and with but of course, see what you think of it first. Um, I won't give anything away. I won't build it up anymore just in case it falls flat on its face to you and you go, what was he talking about? We will chat more afterwards, but this is The Queen's County Witch on Fireside. The Queen's County Witch Before the island of Ireland won her independence, the eastern midland county of Leash was known as the Queen's County. 
One night, near the town of Rathdowney, a local parish priest was summoned to the bedside of a dying man. It was very late, and the priest spent the man's final hours beside him, administering the last rites and comforting him before the poor sinner met his fate. The dead man's son, who had summoned the priest, thanked him and offered to ride alongside him home, as it was now the darkest time of night. But the priest politely refused, mounted his horse, and set off home. The ride was long, and the priest had nothing but his horse, his whip, and a small lantern for company. The light of the lantern was meagre, and just enough for the priest to see the slightest bit ahead of him. The priest passed several fields of dairy cows and cattle. The area had been having a lot of trouble with milk recently. No matter how many cows a farmer had, or how well looked after they were, the cows gave no milk. It was becoming a serious problem. The priest had been summoned to many a farm to offer blessings and answer questions about whether the area or the cows were cursed. This wasn't helped by the existence of Sarah Kennedy. Sarah was an old woman who lived in a cabin with her daughter. They had one single dairy cow who gave more milk and butter than anyone else in the area. The other farmers all thought that Sarah Kennedy was a witch. She often proudly discussed her interests in the world of the occult. The priest had, on many occasions, warned Sarah against such practices. The worlds of paganism and organized religion have always been at war. The darkest of the night had passed and rosy-fingered dawn was about to rise over the east of the country. The priest welcomed the brightening day, but his horse did not. The priest's steed was usually strong, loyal, and calm. But this morning he had grown restless and distracted. The horse kept stopping to look over towards the cows, the priest would gently whip the beast to keep moving, and eventually the horse reared up and the priest nearly fell off. He dismounted and inspected his steed. The horse was trembling from head to hoof and seemed to be sweating. The priest had heard that when horses are nervous, they should be blindfolded. So the man of faith took out his handkerchief and covered his horse's eyes. Remounting, the priest once again whipped the horse and they resumed their journey. But the stallion did not come. The priest was forced to dismount again and walk on foot, pulling his nervous steed behind. The two travelers reached a large hedge with a gap to pass through. The priest looked ahead to mind the thorns of the hedge, lest he rattle his horse's cage any further. 
But it was not thorns the priest saw, but a sight that made him question his faith. There walking through the hedge was a man, but not the entirety of a man. It appeared to be the legs of a man from the waist down. No body, no arms, and no head. But still the legs were walking, and they were walking towards the priest. The man of the cloth was fixated, and now knew why his horse had been so nervous. But the priest had been tested before, and was made of stern stuff. So he walked towards the phantom legs. The closer he came to the spectre, the clearer the image became. The legs wore tattered breeches, fastened tight at the knee. The calves and feet were without shoes or stockings, covered instead in long, beastly red hairs with muck and blood. The priest determined to speak to the creature, although what reply could be expected from a pair of legs with no head to speak. Good morning, the priest said. A fine day for ghosts to wander the earth. The legs did not speak words, but a terrible growl. <laughs> what brings you out this morning? The priest tried again. Again, the specter said, <laughs> You're not the chatty type, I take it. <laughs> Why will you not speak to me? Do you not trust a man of God? The priest began to grow impatient with the spirit. In the name of God and all that is holy, I command you to speak to me. Who are you and what is your purpose? The creature did not seem comfortable with the summoning of God and made another growl. Louder, angrier, and more terrifying. <laughs> the priest, growing defensive, raised his whip high in the air. Perhaps a taste of my lash will loosen your tongue. The priest whipped the creature with all his strength. The sentient legs fell to the ground and made no further sound. The priest slowly approached and stood over the prostrate demon. The legs began to tremble. They began to sweat. No, bleed. No, milk. The ghostly legs began to bleed milk. It seeped and spread into the muck until the priest was standing in a pool of white. But still the milk flowed. It began to gush out of the creature like a fountain, covering and drenching the priest. The man of faith ran from the volcano of bovine produce and wiped and dried his face. When he looked back over the river of milk, the legs were gone. In their place, lying on the ground, was old Sarah Kennedy.
the old woman looked in immense pain, frightened and tortured. Sarah, cried the priest, I warned you about dabbling in witchcraft. The evil spirits may give you power for a time, but they will never be on your side, and they will abandon you like they have now and leave you at the mercy of the Dark One. Oh, Father, said Sarah Kennedy, please, please help me. I can see hell. I can feel the burn already. The demon's claws are on my body. They won't let go. Father, please, help. But the priest said nothing. He could not bring himself to forgive a witch. He stood over Sarah Kennedy and watched her writhe around on the ground and scream in pain until the last agonizing gasp of life left her body. Once she was gone, the priest covered the milk-drenched corpse and mounted it onto his horse, the horse who had finally calmed. Sarah Kennedy was laid out in her cabin, but there were no mourners, all save for her daughter, who too was now accused of witchcraft. The farmers were out for blood. It had been Sarah Kennedy, after all, draining the precious milk from their cows and selling it as her own, starving and impoverishing the community. She had professed the Catholic faith all her life, but had made no secret her interests in sorcery and fairyism, as it was called. And so Sarah Kennedy was denied a Christian burial. Her body was buried in an unmarked grave by the priest. He buried her at the hedge where he had defeated the witch. The river of milk had dried into the earth, but the priest would never forget the sight or the smell of the milk spewing from the creature that fateful night. The milk did return to the farmer's cows of Queen's County, but the parish priest would never again touch a drop. He had had his fill of calcium. After her body was put into the earth, community gathered and burned Sarah Kennedy's cabin to the ground. They lit the fire with her daughter still inside, wanting to avoid further witchcraft in the area. It was said Sarah Kennedy's daughter escaped, but she was never again heard of in Queen's County. The End So, if the security guard never saw Aoife leave the building, how could Mark have committed the crime? And then there's a letter from the confession box. Anyway, sorry for the rambling voice note. But to answer your question, no. If this sounds like you, then Headstuff Podcasts competition Join the Cast is offering you the chance to record your own podcast series worth €50,000. Simply pitch your idea at jointhecast.ie. T's and C's apply.
Woof, and there we have the tale of the Queen's County Witch on Fireside. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And I certainly hope you'd see what I mean when I say that this story uh, kind of rattled my own cage as I was doing it. And I think the reason for that is like there's so many, there's there's aspects of this story that are almost comical. You know, the idea of sentient walking legs and gushing blood or gushing milk even. Um, those are, you know, almost silly concepts to see and they could work very well in a much more lighthearted story. But it's all the elements at play here. First of all, we have the main character being a priest and this is a story of magic and folklore. So this is one of those many, many Irish folk tales that... Um, blends the contradictory worlds of Christianity and paganism. And so we get introduced to this priest administering last rites to a dying man and riding home in the dead of night. And one of the ways I restructured this story was all of the revelations about Sarah Kennedy were, in the version I adapted this story from, left until the very end, whereas I wanted to establish that the cows and the area had been cursed um, just to give it somewhere to go and to give the stakes there early on. And then we have this creature, this set of legs that the priest encounters after his horse. And the horses and the dogs are always the first to know, of course. Um, And these legs are of a man and they're wearing tattered breeches which only go down to the knee but it was this was the first thing that got me was the image of red hair and like monstrous hair like fur almost and blood and muck on these bare feet of these legs without a body and then this sound and of course when i was reading the original version of this story it was just written as basically like umph just <laughs> But you have to ask yourself, what does a body with no mouth, what sound do they make? You know, is the body just invisible or is this still a sound that this otherworldly being can um, produce? But of course the priest is brave and strong and this is a test of his faith and of his mettle. And so he challenges this creature and whips him. And of course, uh, witches particularly and many uh, uh, creatures of folklore are very weak to, certainly in post-Christianity stories, are weak to the touch of men of God. And so the priest has power over um, witches because in the context of this kind of story, uh, witches are uh, fueled by evil spirits and fueled by the devil and by Satan. And so they are overpowered by um, the touch of a man of God. And so the priest whips the creature who instantly turns back into Sarah Kennedy. And this is where the story gets darker still, where Sarah Kennedy... Oh, sorry, I'm almost bloody dropping the recorder. Um, Sarah Kennedy is lying on the ground in agony and she can see hell and she can feel hell. And it reminded me a lot of um, Drag Me to Hell in the Sam Raimi movie, uh, of the ending of that, um, which I won't 
spoil potentially any more than I, the title does. Um, but anyone who's seen the movie will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and Sarah's lying there and she's describing what she can see and what she can feel. And she asks for forgiveness. And this is where in most stories, uh, most Catholic stories, you know, you would have the priest forgive uh, the sinner as he forgave the dying man he just left. But the priest can't do it. He can't forgive sorcery and witchcraft. And so he just watches as Sarah Kennedy dies in agony. And that really, that really stuck with me, the idea of him watching that happen and saying not a word. Other details I kind of added, I added that he took the body away himself and that he buried it back there. Um, in the context of Between the Legs and the story, suddenly the pool of milk goes from being silly to being pretty gruesome. And just the idea of this sweating, bleeding, white liquid out of it. And then, of course, we have the final detail of the house, the cabin being burnt to the ground by the villagers and the community with Sarah's daughter still inside. Unfortunately, it does escape, although we never really learn if Sarah's daughter was a witch as well. The story seems to suggest that she was, but that she certainly did escape and wasn't foolish enough to return to the area. And I think um, the thing that really grounds this very supernatural story for me is that we're well familiar now with the realities of um, the history of supposed witchcraft. And, you know, the most iconic, of course, being the Salem witch trials in Massachusetts by the Puritans. Um, but stories like this were legitimately used to justify, you know, the execution of women. And... In this story, you know, the villagers, the community is right. But you can just imagine a reality uh, and an origin to this story where if you had a community of farms and there was a drought for whatever reason, whether now, you know, anyone who would know infinitely more about farming than I would would be able to say, but I'm sure there are like dry spells that do happen and if a cow wasn't giving milk or a group of cows or there was a dry spell in any case of a crop and then there was one person and if she was an older isolated woman who was producing a lot of milk or butter or a crop you can imagine just the talk around the town that she must be interested in the occult that she must be a bride of satan and that she must be a witch and so that's is what really gives this story a potency, I believe, in that I can see, I can see a world, I can where this the oral tradition brought a story like this to life, um, stories like this which attempted to prove the existence of witches and, you know, to watch out for the signs and of heroic priests defeating satanic spawn, and it's a wonderful aspect of Halloween, like with so many demons and creatures that witches have been now reappropriated and they are celebrated and witch culture is in a new boom again and it's great to see that happen um, but we can never forget the gruesome and brutal tragedy that was um, the world of witchcraft and, and witch hunts and um, throughout the world for so long
and that's all of those reasons are why this was probably one of the most challenging and affecting stories um that i had done on this podcast um but my hope with that is that it has been effectively sinister and gothic and dark um for a sinister gothic and dark time of the year um i will next week we will have another witch story which i promise as a balance will be much much lighter than this one so of course please do let me know your thoughts um and if you have any other favorite witch stories or banshee stories or puka stories any other sound stories for that measure for that matter um always love to hear from every one of you so next week our story will be on the witch's excursion which excursion which as i said will be much lighter um and the week after that we will have or the episode after that they'll both come out this week uh we will have our fireside of horror five our halloween special where we're going to take a look at extracts from other gothic works um and i've got two great pieces planned for that so please do follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy my book, Garden Sea, A Neo Myth of Home from Headstuff or from the Kindle website. Support the podcast at Headstuff Plus for five euro a month or you can pay more if you want. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.